Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 67. Today, we're talking about refocusing the conversation on race in music education. Thank you for joining us. So today we are here to talk about a very important conversation that's happening now and needs to happen and needed to happen years ago. And here we are talking about it now. And Tanya and I want to recognize, first of all, our position of privilege as white educators. Uh, We recognize that. And we have been struggling, as many are, to find the right words. And while we recognize that we might misstep with some of the things we're going to say, we are doing our best and we are learning. And in light of that, we tried to record some things yesterday. And we did we, record some things yesterday. We, well, we did record. We tried to say some things yesterday. And upon reflecting, we felt that the conversation that we were having initially kept really coming back to us. And we, we want to make sure that the conversation is not about us. No. And that we are, we are highlighting the voices that need to be heard. So in light of that, we, we did something that we don't normally do, which is we actually typed up a little bit of our our opening statement here and then we are going to talk, you know, freely. Yeah. And I just want to, can I just say that it's, uh, the show notes for this particular show will list lots of resources. Anything that we've listed is stuff that we have read and that we really think has been helpful to us. Um, So I'm not comfortable putting a list on our page of anything that I haven't already experienced. And some of these things like the podcast that we'll mention, I've listened to like twice um, and taken notes on. So I just want you to understand that if you want to turn us off right now and go look at that, the list of resources, because and not even listen to and not listen to us, um, all of those resources are from uh, black people who, who have a much clearer understanding of the things that we need to be talking about. But this well, is- not all of them. Not all not, of them are. Well, all of them in, well, you're right. Not all of them are. You're right. There's a couple of things in there that are led by, um, yeah, white podcasters or, or white authors or white um, educators. But, but the, the important part that Tanya is trying to say is that there are things that we've um, we've experienced ourselves, <laughs> read right. or to ourselves. Yeah. And everything is through a lens it. of, yeah. Yeah. This is through a lens of two white middle-aged music teachers, female music yes. teachers. So there you go. Yes. Yeah. So with that in mind, we want to be clear that we know we cannot proceed with business as usual. The murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and others highlight the long-standing problem of systemic racism in our society. We have work to do as individuals and as educators. The presence of overall white-centered culture in education demands that we all act. It's not enough to be not racist. We must strive to be anti-racist. We recognize our privilege as white people and know that there is work to be done within our own personal education. And as music educators, we know we have work to do mostly in number one decentering whiteness as the default culture 
Number two, examining and changing our song repertoire. Number three, carefully questioning and considering our teaching practices that might harm Blacks, in, Indigenous, and people of color and any other oppressed minorities in our society. So if we take a look at those three categories, I guess you could call them, for lack of a better word, that Tanya's presented, again, it's not about us. We are recognizing that these are three areas that Tanya and I are working on personally and that we invite fellow white educators and all educators to join us in considering. We don't have answers, but we're learning, we're reading, we're listening. Um, and starting with number one, which to me kind of almost is the overarching umbrella of so many of things that we've been talking about and others talking about, this idea of this, this importance of decentering de whiteness as the default culture. Yeah. And as a white woman growing up in middle-class America, this is something that has not been presented to me in a way that I fully have understood it. And I'm still learning and still trying to understand it, my fragility and my, my position of privilege. But especially within education, when we look around our staff meetings in our schools where we teach, what do we see? And even in my building where I teach at a building with many Latino students, I don't believe that our, uh, our staff room reflects that. Right. Yeah. So it has to do with who's teaching and it also has to do with um, exactly what we're teaching from. So we're going to talk yeah. about song repertoire in a minute, but also if we just think about, something as simple as the picture books that not only music educators use, but that are available in the library. Are your students or our students in general seeing themselves reflected back to them from the books that are read to them, the books that they have available to them, the resources, the, the videos that they see that are trying to teach them, you know, something that not having to do with, um, societal norms or anything but you know just as simple as that and when I first thought about this um, it, it just is something that as like Carrie was saying as as white females growing up in Colorado or I grew up in Colorado I'm sorry you grew up in Illinois but uh, it was never pointed out to me in my education um, honestly, it wasn't even pointed out to me in my undergrad that, right. hey, look, we have mostly, uh, even if you look at the newspaper, if you open a magazine, you see white faces, white faces, white faces. Right. Um, and it's something that you just, if you are white, something that you don't notice. But if you are not, I'm sure it's something well, every single day, several times a day, something that you notice. Um I'm privileged that I have my culture reflected back to me all the time. And that's the mm -hmm. default. It's the default culture. So how do we decenter that back to like, how are we, there's so many things, but should we touch on a couple of things that we can do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously we, we recognize that this is a societal issue, but Tanya and I want to focus on the classroom and specifically the music classroom, because this is, this is 
our world that we are in daily and where we are trying to make changes in our lives. And we are assuming that most of you who are listening to us right now are also music educators. And so we're, we're focusing the conversation on specifically what we can do in the music room differently um, and what we can reflect on. So Tanya mentioned picture books. I mean, that's huge because so many of us are using picture books all the time with our kids. And there's been some lists flying around Facebook and those are great to look at. Oh yeah, there's some um, great lists. Yeah, I brought my entire picture book collection home this summer because of COVID <laughs> and I was using them in the spring anyways. And um, I talked about this in, in our summer plans podcast that I'm going to go through and I'm going to be cataloging all of my picture books into an app. And I'm really interested to see the results. I, I already know what the results are and that I need to do better. And so mm -hmm. that's going to be a really great way for me to self-reflect. Um, and then, you know, a huge thing is repertoire, which is kind of the second big chunk of what we were going to talk about. Oh, yes. Um, song repertoire is something that is coming up. And while, of course, this is much bigger than song repertoire, that is such an important place to start, especially as a Kodai-inspired educator, because in theory, so much of what we teach our students should come from our song repertoire as far as the sequencing of the elements that we're teaching. Um, and so if we're really, truly looking at our song repertoire, are we just teaching the same songs because it's what was given to us when we took our Kodai training or what we just went to in a workshop without really questioning where it came from. I know I am 100% guilty of that. Oh my gosh. And yes. I, I can't even, I can't even tell you how very guilty I am of that in particular of just accepting again, just saying, okay, well, here's the default list. Here's, you know, we, we, we have these, these, these books that are considered standard, especially in Kodai the Kodai world. And um, yeah, it's not like they're very uh, representative of many cultures. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty white centric. Uh, yes. And this is a conversation that has been bubbling up among music education, um, yeah, Facebook pages and social media and also organizations, but it's not new. It's always been there. And it's something that we really, you know, I'm, Carrie and I have been talking about this for a very, a very long time. It's like, well, we, we got to dig into that. But we were just like now, we were nervous about exactly how to talk about it. Well, um, after the last few months of really digging in, I'm not nervous anymore about defending and talking about that. And this is something that we plan to really dig into with its own episode about why we should not use certain songs, but right. also how can we replace them and what should we replace them with? And that's not to say that, okay, here's your list. And there are lists of do don't do these songs and they're excellent lists, but you should do the research yourself, by the way. Right. Um, but it's not to say that you should be handed a list of okay well now here's all of the songs that you should be do that represent that you should be doing that represent other cultures because it's going to change depending on exactly who you're teaching and that's another whole conversation we could talk about um carrie and i have talked a lot uh about the role of the kodai philosophy in our 21st century world and and how we need to uh be the change of um, 
how we should be interpreting Kodai's vision and, and how that can be um, something that it could be helpful in this time, but I don't think it's, it's really been uh, defined how it, it how, how we could be defining it in order to still be confident to call ourselves Kodai educators and, and feel good about that. And I'm, see, see how these things go. We just get into the weeds. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, as predominantly Kodai inspired teachers, we really need to be very clear about song repertoire. That's, yes. that's it. That's about it. And something I just want to highlight, and this is something Tanya and I've talked a lot about off mic and with, with friends and colleagues, is just the importance of that research and you doing the research for yourself um, and not putting it upon anyone else, especially black, brown, indigenous people of color to do that research for you. Oh, gosh. No. It, it's not appropriate to and not okay <laughs> to go into any sort of Facebook group or, or even privately message someone and say, well, what song should I do? Or I can't do this song anymore. That that's on you. That's on us. Um, and that's, again, it's, it's, it's asking others to labor for you and that's never okay. Yeah. It's never okay. And, and especially yeah. in this time where it is so easy to find so much information. Thank you, internet. And, you know, access to, to research journals and, and so much that's out there. It's overwhelming how much that, that's out there, but isn't that a wonderful privilege that we have, that we have these resources at our fingertips, literally, and how important it is that we do our own research and mm -hmm. that we, we owe it to our students, we owe it to our fellow educators to, to dig in and do that ourselves. Yeah. And not just assume that something, just because something was handed to me by somebody who I know and respect, that doesn't mean it's right for me to do with my kids for exactly. a variety of reasons. Well, and yeah, you need to do your own research. And I'm saying this as someone who is, is guilty of accepting a body of folk songs and not seriously vetting them. Unfortunately, and this is another little thread to pick on, we cannot trust uh, publishers all the time. Right. To, uh, we have several examples of songs that are in collections that we all know and love and trust and definitely if you're using textbooks from it doesn't matter what date those textbooks come from you definitely cannot be trusting of the publishers of textbooks that they have made sure that these songs um, are, are good to use in your classroom but also that they're not problematic. You, you really have to do it. We, more than anything, understand that you have to do the work of researching your own song collection. And like I said, we all, I need to go back, of course. Um, and I've got problematic songs in my collection that I really need to make it, it very clear what I will use in my song collection and, and what I won't use anymore. And, and of course, like, most music educators, I've, most music teachers that I respect have said, I am guilty of using Shoe Fly. I am guilty of using, mm -hmm. you know, these songs that we know to be problematic. And um, like, like we were saying, this is something we can definitely dig into. Right. We're just hitting the surface of it. We are hitting the surface of this. of this. Yes. Big, big, much bigger issue. Yes. Um, so song repertoire is very important, but it's not the end all be all. We need to look at 
at all aspects of our classroom, of our, our resources. And then to move on to the third point that Tanya mentioned, and this is, this is huge, carefully questioning, considering our teaching practices that might harm black, brown, indigenous people of color. Mm -hmm. um, the way we phrase things, the way we, we present things, the way we question our students, just, and, and I will be the first to say this is not something I have dug into enough to speak to enough in this forum, other than we want to highlight its importance and that Tanya and I are both digging into this work as much as we can at this moment, but we don't have the answers. <laughs> there are well, other people who might be able to guide us towards it. Oh, it's not about finding answers, it's just about it's the reflection piece. Yeah, yeah, and and there are lots of this, there's excellent things that have been written and said that that really help with that part. Um, there's lots of terms um, and lots of ideas that I was introduced to, thankfully, through my district when I was doing my mentor training. And it's interesting, I keep coming back to all these um, materials that I received and that the training that I had to go through. Doing that mentor training, I remember thinking, why is every teacher not required to do the depth of training that we're having to do just as mentor teachers. Yeah. Know? And, and maybe they are now, so I, I can't really speak. It depends on the district. It depends on the state. It depends on so many things, True. but yeah. um, that's a training that should be, gosh, I hope it's happening in an undergraduate um, education programs, but even something as simple as like unconscious biases that we have mm -hmm. that we need to look at um, as far as our teaching practices, maybe, you know, and I'll just use myself, throw myself in there. Maybe I'm doing things that I don't even realize, you know, not, not just in regard to race, of course that's huge, but in regard to gender, in regard to able-bodied student, in regard to um, students who are ESL, where their, their English is not their first language. Yeah. Um, there's all these unconscious bias that as educators, boy, it is our responsibility to make our culture in our classroom inclusive and make every student be thrilled to be in our room. And I'm yeah. sure there's not a music teacher out there listening or not listening who would say, I don't want those kids to feel unwelcome, but I'm okay with these kids feeling, this is why we teach. We, we love children. We want to pass on our love of music to children. I don't know anybody who says, well, you know, down with those students. We want to create a culture of acceptance in our classroom. And that goes along with considering and really looking at our teaching practices. And it's been said before, but if something makes you uncomfortable, that's when you need to lean in and go, maybe I'm uncomfortable because I haven't thought this through or because I do this or because I know there's a little niggling part of me that says, um, this is something I don't want to do anymore, or this is something that I need to figure out why, or, um, you know, maybe there's something you need to start doing. Like back, right. if we talk back to not just our song literature, but the books that we use, the phrases that we use, um, language is an important thing to understand that some language that we use might be charged, right? Um, there's, yeah, symbols of, uh, that we shouldn't be using. There's practices that we shouldn't be doing. 
Um, and th th there's been lots said, and I've gone down a bunch of rabbit holes. Um, I've learned a lot more about blackface and menstrual shows because mm -hmm. I don't think I fully understood the impact, the intended impact of the menstrual show. Um, what do you call it? the practice of menstrual shows? Yeah, and the genre, the genre of menstrual shows. And I think it's it's evident that I'm not the only one because. It, you don't have to look too far back in history. I'm talking months to find people who have done blackface, mm -hmm. which not just in, I won't, I won't even say in my mind, I would say generally as a culture, we know that that is not acceptable, not okay, right? This is not something that we should debate whether or not people should be doing blackface. And, and I mentioned it to Carrie. I had an experience uh, about a year ago at a concert where I, students were um, doing a concert and along with that concert, they were doing um, some reports where they dressed up like a famous uh, person from Colorado. And we, I had a student who was, who came to the concert in costume like they were all supposed to do. And that's the student came in blackface. And it was, it was a shock to me because I didn't know that we had people in our school community who would, who would do that and not think about that, right? I mean, I, my, my jaw was on the floor and I had to, my principal, she, she, uh, she spoke to the parent and remedied the situation. That, that child went home and changed, of course, but... Yeah. So, you know, it's all good for me to say that I was shocked, but really, uh, are we really that shocked? I think that we need to educate ourselves in things that are appropriate and things that are, that are not appropriate. And um, I, that's not something that I think we should back down on, that specific thing, blackface. Right. Right. Um, and go and, and look up some videos and watch the videos of Judy Garland doing blackface, which was yeah. another shock to me because I didn't realize that, you know, um, Bing Crosby doing blackface and those kind of things. It's, it's alarming and horrible to learn about, but at the same time, we need to know this history um, mm -hmm. because otherwise, you know, you're the parent who says, well, you know, your, your person that you're doing your um, report on is African-American. So why don't we just put this, just makeup, just, you know, part yep. of the costume and right. not think twice about it. I'm sure the intent of that parent was not, you know, to make any kind of racist statement, but it is, it doesn't matter whether you understand it or not. If you show up in blackface, you're making a statement, whether you get, whether you've understood that or not. Right. Yeah. It's, it's this constant continuum of learning that we're all on. And to bring it back to specifically code, I inspired teaching, you know, the big catchphrase that we all quote, music for all and what does that really mean oh my gosh that's another episode <laughs> yeah i mean that's but that that to me frames so much of of the questioning that i'm doing and i know many of us are doing and need to do more is is it truly no i mean we we have to say no we have to recognize we haven't done enough we're still not doing enough and there's yeah. work to be done yeah, if we really believe music for all, 
Well, first of all, that's something that we need to examine about what what music and what what do we mean by that and but mm -hmm. yeah, what, but if we so, yeah, which music are we talking about? Yeah, there's so so much. What so music much. and how too with that music and and the notation piece and the literacy piece and that's a whole other podcast. Um, yeah, but yeah, so if we really believe that everyone's life can be enhanced by music in some way, you know, that music should be a part of every. That's why I teach music, is because I. Music is extremely valuable in my life, and it's saved my life. I mean, music is what I want to pass on to children. I want to teach. Mm -hmm. I want to teach children music. I think it's extremely important. Um, and if we really believe that um, music is worth uh, teaching, then we have to accept the culture that goes along with that, because that's one of the reasons why music is so very important, is because it illuminates our culture, it, mm -hmm. the good and the bad. It's, yeah. it's not separate from. We can't just say, I'm the music teacher, but we only do happy, shallow songs in here. You have to take it all. You know, if you're, if you're diving into songs of any people, you have to understand um, that it's connected to culture. Yep. And so now we'd really like to point to some resources that we have found helpful. Um, like we mentioned before, all the resources will be found on our show notes. Um, and these are things that we, the books, podcasts, um, and other things that we have found very helpful. So Carrie, go ahead and tell us about the first couple. Yeah, well, this first one is a Google Doc that then leads you to lots and lots and lots more resources. Um, this is a Google Doc that I discovered in the Decolonizing Music Room Facebook group, but I know it's around in other places as well. Um, the title of the Google Doc is Scaffolded Anti-Racist Resources, and the purpose of this document is for white people to have a, a large amount of resources. And something that I appreciate is that it breaks down these resources into different categories based on stage of white identity development and corresponding beliefs, thoughts, and actions. Because we, you know, we recognize that in our awareness, we go through different stages and we slide in and out of different stages. And there's different materials that help meet us where we need to be yeah. and push us forward. I was going to say, they're all good resources. So don't oh, yeah. let, yeah. I mean, I think it's awesome that it's scaffolded, but don't let that hold you back from you know oh no no, no not, yeah. absolutely not um but it, yeah that's what i mean like it's gonna push you forward push me forward to the next place where i want to be and need to be but yeah i mean the whole list is amazing so we will definitely link to this list and it's important to note that at the top of the list you know it gives credit to the people who have done the work and that you can donate to any or all of those resources if you are able to 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 credit that work that's been done so it's just a really great comprehensive list and a lot of the things we're going to mention next are also in that list so you know i think maybe list. all the things we're going to mention are on it's that list possible. as i look through it well it's there might be a couple yeah well, and we're talking specifically about music education things. So there's a couple things that 
aren't necessarily, because that list isn't for music educators, it's for all people, but specifically for white people. Um, And then, as I mentioned, decolonizing the music room, I know most music educators by now have heard of this organization, and if you haven't, you need to go immediately to their website. Um, So decolonizing the music room is an organization the, the largest body of their work lives on their website and they do have a Facebook group and it's really great to be a part of that Facebook group. But I think it's important that you dig into the website before you go and ask questions on the Facebook group. Um, just real quick, I'll read from their, from their website what their purpose is. Helping music educators develop critical practices through research, training, and discourse to build a more equitable future. And yes, there's a lot of talk about literature, song literature, appropriateness, but it's bigger than that. And it's, it's really goes back to this bigger idea of decentering whiteness and decolonizing the music room. Exactly, exactly that. So um, amazing articles and resources are on that website. So definitely read from lots of different perspectives, lots of different voices, um, mostly non-white voices. And so it's just a really great place to go and get some really great information and then like i said there is a facebook group it's a really great place to go but it's not it's not intended to be a hive mind type facebook group where you just go on and ask a question hey i'm looking for songs about blah 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 yes more important that um there's bigger issues that are that are discussed there and make sure you use the search bar there's oh yes huge use of of hashtags for that purpose so you can search for things you're looking for um you know and this is just you know a a word of of caution and reminder for us for all social media groups that we we need to do our own research before we just pop in and ask a question hey i need a song for this or i need a song that comes from this culture like that's that's do your own research do your own searching and i'm i'm guilty of this too and we all need to be better and work the, harder. Yeah. At the very least, before you do that, like use the search bar within any kind of Facebook group you're in exactly. to ask. And um, here's a tiny little pet peeve of mine. I'm going to just drop this right here. I think it's incredibly obnoxious when people ask for something and then they type go in big caps with exclamation points. Don't do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. And in particular, you know, related to this large topic we're talking about now, don't put the work and the labor on black brown indigenous people to do Mm -hmm. your work to labor for you to help you find resources they've they're doing their work and you do yours (laughs) and you can learn and you can listen but you don't need to ask them we're just we're so lucky that we have an abundance of resources i think more than anything people get overwhelmed with where to go and so maybe that's why they're asking for recommendations but that's why we're doing this right now because like we said before, any of these things that we're mentioning are things that we've already looked at that, you yeah. know, we recommend. And one more thing I want to mention about decolonizing the music room too, there is a place on their website to donate as well. So if oh, yes. you are able to use those resources and you find that information valuable as you should, and you're able to consider giving a small amount or whatever you're comfortable giving to their work. Yes. And dovetailing off of the decolonizing the music room uh, page and group there. One of the podcasts that I would like to recommend that we both would like to recommend was from Mrs. Miracles music room. Um, Aileen, our awesome friend, Aileen, who just is fantastic. You should be listening to her anyway. Uh, she did on episode 41. She had an interview with Brandy Waller Pace 
who was one of the founders of Decolonizing the Music Room. And it's just very, it's so well done. And they go into some detail about as music teachers, what are the things that we should be doing? What, what should we be thinking about? And it's, I need to listen to it a second time because um, I need to take notes because there's some really great, great stuff in there to hear. Yep. Another podcast and specific podcast episode we want to recommend is the SCORE podcast and specifically episode 34 titled White Fragility in Music Education with hosts Eric and Justin. Um, really great episode. Eric and Justin are both uh, music educators um, and people of color and just really powerful conversation that they have about their own experiences. Um, specifically in urban music education and uh, working with, you know, uh, working within a field that is majority white and um, bringing voice to, to those music educators and to their students. And it was just a really powerful conversation. And I was, I, I need to listen to it again. <laughs> That's yeah. one that I could listen to multiple times. Yeah. And I got our perspective every time I listen to it. I was not aware of this podcast at all until this episode, yeah. but I've listened to some of their other ones and I really appreciate, even though I'm an elementary music teacher, um, the, the, the things they talk about are just all music educators really. And yeah. so it's, um, you know, very practical, very philosophical, um, really good stuff. And it's great to hear also from, I mean, me as a, a female white music teacher, it's very good to hear from males and, you know, men in the profession who are of color. And it's just a great, great to have that perspective because I don't, I don't get that in my life. Right. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Cause we like podcasts, of course. So another podcast that I'd like to recommend is Cult of Pedagogy, Why White Students Need Multicultural and Social Justice Education. And this is where um, the interview is with Dr. Sheldon Eakins. And he also has a podcast called uh, The Leading Equity Podcast. And in that episode, I'm, so, I'm just I'm forgetting the name of the host. Anyway, they have a very frank and um, really valuable conversation about what needs to be happening with multicultural and social justice education in just all of education and how it doesn't matter what the makeup of a school is or your class is. Um, and uh, Dr. Sheldon Eakins, he's a former principal. He's done a lot of administration work and he's, I, I have not started listening to his podcast, the leading equity podcast, but I it's on my list because um, just some really valuable practical things that we should be doing as educators. So, um, and then another podcast, which is not specifically for educators, Code Switch. So Code Switch is a, just a fantastic NPR podcast. They have lots of um, black journalists and people of color from NPR who uh, they have different people coming on all the time on this podcast. But the specific episode that I'd like to re recommend is called A Decade of Watching Black People Die. And it's... That's another one that I need to listen to a second time. Um, and that podcast is one that is just really uh, one that I have really enjoyed listening to for the past few months. It's, when the coronavirus hit, there's a, some episodes on there talking about 
how it's been disproportionately affecting people of color. And, you know, this is something that I had heard in the news and it's just really great to hear all the follow-up. So Code Switch, an NPR podcast. Awesome. Hey, guess what? I'm going to recommend another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So this is um, Unlocking Us with Brene Brown, and this is specifically her episode, her interview with Ibram Kendi, who wrote the book, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist, which is on my summer reading list. And then hearing him speak about his book and go into detail, she was asking questions about specific things. And of course, once I read the book, I'll go back and listen to the podcast again, because I'm sure I'll glean even more information. But, you know, going into what does it mean to be an anti-racist versus a non-racist, like what's the what's the distinction there? Um, something I haven't thought about before and I still want to dig into more. Um, and just, yeah, his experiences, his experiences writing this book. And um, I'm just, I, I just want to learn more from him. And he has a few different books out. Tanya and I were talking about another one is called, is it simply called Stamped, Tanya? Do you have that in front of you? Well, um, the one that's called, uh, so there's uh, Stamped is like a remix that he has with a co-author of a book that came before that. Um Right. Right. And of course, now I've shut that all down. Um, I put you on the spot so you didn't have it in front of you. We were talking about, oh, Stamped from the Beginning is, is yes. the, the other book that's been recommended, um, which gives more of a historical context for racism. In yes, America. yes. Uh, yeah. And boy, I've heard him on a couple of different podcasts that I really can't name right now because he's, he's been guesting on, on several podcast. But one thing I really appreciate about him is that he includes policy. He keeps coming back to, let's talk about the policies that led to this structure that we've got right now. And, um, oh man, he's, yeah, he, he really, really gives some great insight, especially, like I said, uh, it's all fine and good to talk about like the the sociology and the psychology of all of this, but when you bring it back to what's happening in our country and how policies have been created that keep these things in place, it's just yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's just so anything by Ibram Kendi is something that I'm going to have on my reading list and I'm going to get dig into. But definitely this podcast episode in particular on unlocking us was. Worth a listen and a second listen. Yeah. And in fact, you know what? I'm thinking I might listen to the audio book of How to Be an Anti-Racist because, well, mm-hmm. number one, I can't get the book because it's out right now. Yeah. Um, but I just, I, I like hearing his voice and I mean, it just, yeah. I think yeah. that's my next audio book. Um, okay. Moving on, another podcast. And this one is a meditation podcast I listened to that I think I've mentioned before on this podcast called 10% Happier with Dan Harris, who um, is a uh, a news anchor guy. And his main um, thrust in this uh, podcast is to talk about meditation and interview people who are meditation teachers and, and that kind of thing. And he has dropped like, three podcast episodes that are specifically interviews with people of color in the meditation field. And, um, and they're all fantastic. But the one that I'm specifically going to recommend is his interview with Lama Rod Owens, who is a black queer male um, who has some really 
great insights to to all of this. It, it's, it's a it's another one that's very dense. This interview, it's a very meaningful conversation about race and um, and all of that. So now let's talk about some books. <laughs> uh, we did mention a couple of books, and I'm just going to go out and and drop this here. I am going to mention the book White Fragility why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism by Robin D'Angelo. She is a white woman and this is a book for white people. Um, Meaning that this is more of a book about white people and how to get over yourselves and um, accept things in yourself that are uncomfortable than it is about the systemic racism, racism that we have in our country and policies around it. This is not that book. So I keep saying and thinking that this is more like a primer, this book, White Fragility, so that when you are digging in to some of the um, dense books about systemic racism, that you can really take that information in without your feelings of guilt as a white person or feelings of like, but I'm not privileged, but it, this is a primer. Um, it's a little bit controversial because the author is a white woman and she comes on strong. And when you read this book, it, it's, it's interesting because it's not a very long book. However, it's extremely dense. And, you know, I'll read a couple of pages and then I have to sit with it for a while, which I think is a good thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like less than 200 pages. And yet, you know, I'm not, I'm still... I'm still going th- through this this resource in this book. Um, so, yeah, the controversy uh, besides her coming on strong is that well, why are we? Why should we give money and attention to um, a white person right now? I understand that, but I think that m- most white people need help from other white people to get over themselves, and we can't put that on people of color at all indigenous people people of color they have gone through all of these concepts and ideas um a lot and so this is something this is white people work that white people need to do on their own without bothering others so white fragility um i think has been very helpful Um, another book that is in that same realm that i have been listening to is Me and White Supremacy, Combat Racism, Change the World, and Become a Good Ancestor by Layla F. Saad. And that is another very uncomfortable book as a white person to listen to. Um, And again, that's more about the psychology of um, getting over yourself so you can really understand where others are coming from, right? And so you can understand you know, the structures that we have in place that make us behave the way we do and why we have the laws, the policies, the things going on that do keep others down in our society. So another white people get over yourself book, Me and White Supremacy. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk.
If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. In our next episode, we'll be doing a Q&A session where we'll answer listener questions about anything and everything. If you'd like to still submit a question to us, you can email your questions to musicteachercoffeetalk at gmail.com. And until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking.